Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Collaborative SecDevOps with Sophos Factory. Okay, our special guests today are Kellen Sapien and Mike Frazier from Sophos. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us, Darren. Hey, uh, Kellen, you are the Director of Product Management at Sophos, specifically around their DevOps products. That's correct? DevOps, or uh, it's known as Sophos Factory. Sophos, oh, great. Thank you. And then Mike Frazier, you're one of the only VPs of DevSecOps I personally know. There needs to be more of you guys out there. I love the DevSecOps guys. So welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, I love DevSecOps too. Been a huge fan of it, even building products around it, which we're, 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 we'll get into talking about, but excited about it. So um, when I first talked to you guys, I was very fascinated with what you guys, your approach to DevOps and the DevSecOps world. You guys kind of brought all the people together instead of it going, hey, you do the dev stuff, I'll do the op stuff and the security guys. And then you kind of try and integrate it all together with a mesh of tools. You guys kind of took a holistic approach. I really like that. Tell me a little bit, um, Mike, about kind of your approach, where, where you guys came from, why you took that approach. So give you a little bit of background too, because the whole <clears throat> product came out of my experience being first a cybersecurity engineer in the Air Force, and then I came over to the developer side. And so I worked on the, the DevOps, the dev side, the security side, and also the ops side. I used to have a managed services company too, which actually is how I first met Callum a long, long time ago. And the goal was to create something that could be collaborative to build modern automation around what I like to call IT as code, which is really if IT or everything in your IT environment becomes software, there needs to be a way to be able to follow the same principles and processes that we did with DevOps, but including security in the mix. So I look at DevSecOps as being holistic and the product we built to be able to create these modern solutions around basically like building blocks that had the features and functionality and user experience that, both, that you could utilize across the full spectrum of technical talent and that was a very difficult problem to solve because of the fact that we had to think about the folks that do everything visually, everybody, uh, the folks, the developers that do everything from code and figure out how we can nicely balance that. I kind of equate it to like bridging the gap the, between uh, physical and, uh, you know, or, or hardware and software. And if we're getting into everything as software, we should really think about following a much more agile process as well that enables a collaboration across teams. Okay. So... I've been in DevOps since I had blonde hair, which was a long, long time ago for me. Um, and it, isn't it just a pipeline? I mean, come on, DevOps, it's just a pipeline. Jenkins, before that, Hudson, they've been around for decades. So isn't that good enough? Come on, Mike. I mean, are you just creating stuff to have a, a startup or what's the deal here? So that, 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 that's, that's a great point. So you're correct. There have been products out there in the, the DevOps world since, as it, as it was originally called, agile infrastructure, adding infrastructure, essentially infrastructure as code to an agile application delivery process. My philosophy around that, though, is to go beyond what 
then became CI/CD, which was great for releasing your code to production, but then came everything else that's becoming software as well that may not actually be your own software you're pushing out and releasing to production. It may be around your other infrastructure that your IT has, your security tools. And so I really want to take approach to how can we build automation that very similarly maps to how software is built, but give a user experience on how a security practitioner or an ops person would need something from a visual standpoint. That's where our visual builder came in, but also having a DSL and being able to support all of the content in its native format so that both sides of the spectrum could work together and you can also tie it into existing systems. So the funny thing, when you bring up other products out there, um, our, our technology actually works really well with existing systems like CIST to plug in because you really want to give the cybersecurity and ops teams a seat at the table that developers have had to your point for you know, over 10 years now or decades, depending on which tools you're talking okay, about. Okay, so so you're a lot more than just the CICD pipeline. CIDC pipeline is a, a minuscule part of the whole picture that, because you're looking into, into end, really, right? From dev, security, operations, deployment, the whole the whole thing. And there, there's an implicit bias to pipelines and, and languages like, like an Ansible or a Jenkins or that, because they want you to, do it in their software and everything's an integration and everything's custom. You know, the, the idea behind it was exactly that. We bring in all the different teams and the tools they use. You want to use open source. You want to use a little Jenkins. You want to use Semansible. You want to use a PowerShell script. You know, that, that all should be supported uh, by the tool that each of the teams are using. And so it, it is significantly beyond like the making of pipeline or automation. Well, the other thing I, I just bring up real quick is when you start building pipelines, you you utilize what we call modules, which are like the tools you would expect, like a Terraform or a Vault or an Ansible. Then that gets wrapped up into a low code or a no code pipeline. And that's where it becomes consumable by your others, the other folks in your organization, the security or ops folks. Then the goal though, is actually to get them to start upskilling themselves as they're consuming. It's much easier to do that if you're using the product then try to take somebody from, say, uh, a cybersecurity team and say, hey, here's a traditional CI, CD product, have at it and try to figure it out. And here's some Git repos. That's just not going to fly for the majority of security or ops folks out there. Well, that's that's what I actually really appreciate about what you guys put together. You understand a dev guy like myself has a different paradigm than an ops guy, than a security engineer. I mean, we think differently. We use different tool sets. And what you guys did was you kind of abstracted away some of the complexity and allowed, but still allowed all those tools to be integrated together pretty seamlessly. Yep. And you can go as low level as you want to. So as a developer, if you want to pop in a, a shell script or a bash script, or you want to use PowerShell, or you want to use Python, like you can still use that in, in factory. And so that's the goal is like, as a developer, you can come in and use what, you know, bring in your content, use what you want. You don't have to start with Git, which is another key piece versus a lot of the other systems out there. But as soon as you want to introduce Git into your process, you can use Git inside of your pipelines. You can trigger from Git. So we want to, again, make this as friendly as possible to developers of the world so they can use something like this. But being able to collaborate and work with their security and ops counter, uh, counterparts because of the fact that they need the more visual user experience because that's what they're used to. They've lived in UIs and GUIs and so on. And so trying to make the leap from that into pure code is not going to happen. 
But if we have a way to have something that actually can meet them at where they are from a, from a technical perspective and what they've been used to for, you know, however long they've been working, that's the way we're going to start shifting and helping organizations modernize and also getting these various teams to work together. Alan, tell, tell us a little bit about, because you guys took a, a different philosophy around this on collaboration as well. You didn't just provide, oh, here's a web interface with a bunch of tools you can plug in together. You guys did more than that. Can you explain a little bit more on your collaboration um, focus? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it goes along with the kind of the uplift of technical talent piece, because we, we basically present to the individual users the pieces that they're familiar with, right? However they're used to working, that's what we provide for them, but we do it all off the same interface. So if you if you come in with the tool sets that you're expecting from uh, an IT person with your you know set of scripts and superhero powers that you have in there, we can build those in a visual format or have the developer team build those out into those visual artifacts that they can run around and play with. If you're the security person where you're maybe one foot in, you know, kind of shifting left and one foot in shifting right, then you're, you're consuming that same interface, but it's now got the tools and the artifacts that you're expecting. And then if you, you get all the way down or up to that level of a full stack developer or a DevOps engineer or, or a straight engineer, what you're doing is you're actually pulling in and, and building all of the artifacts in a way that the other teams can use it. And I think one of the other areas too is we're, we're not just the, the creation of, of a pipeline for an automation piece. We're also that interconnective tissue, the, the, the fabric between disparate systems. So when we think of integrations, we think about the movement of data, but we also think about actions. So if someone needs, for example, you know, they're using JIRA on the coding side, they're using ServiceNow on the, uh, on the IT ops side, and then the, the security team, the SecOps team may have an incident response piece. You can, within your pipelines that you're building to deliver services or deliver responses, actually have an integration to all those pieces and then fire off something to Slack. So that way, everybody in near real time has visibility in the, and are able to respond or touch it in the way that's comfortable to them. And we're not omitting different systems. And that's been a key part for me because I ran alliances. I ran, you know, the one plus one equals three type. Uh, pieces of the world. And so many integrations just aren't worth the time that was put into them because it's, you know, move this little bit of data in that. The fact that we're building these actionable things between teams and between systems makes it uh, a lot more beneficial from a collaboration piece. Now, you you mentioned something else in, in, in that. You mentioned reusability, the yeah. modules being reused. That's a big thing that a lot of DevOps engineers are looking for, right? And they end up coding these really hairy, right? Because I've done it myself. Oh, I'm going to build the build engine that can build anything that comes in, right? And handle any, but in reality, that doesn't work, right? So, but you guys talk about reusability. Explain a little bit more on the philosophy around the reusable parts that you guys can, can put in there. Because it's not just one tool you're re reusing, it's the integrations that you're reusing, correct? Correct. Yeah. So the, the philosophy is you got to start with something to start building. So we have what are called modules. Those are basically the tools that I explained earlier from different DevOps and security tools. But the, the real magic is when you package those up into these pipelines, those become the building blocks. 
and you can have those built around various use cases. So it could be something like spinning up a virtual firewall. It could be um, running a CIS, Center for Internet Security Assessment against some, uh, some, some virtual machines. It could be, um, to Callan's point, tying into ticketing systems. But the goal is that you're creating something that can be reused over and over. And then you think about how you're building these to decouple them. So if I'm using something for say service now and I wanna create a ticket, I could use that for across various different other use cases that could be around network automation, infrastructure automation, cloud native security, whatever it may be. And then I think about everything as solution building versus just, I wanna automate these things together because at the end of the day, it's gonna be about the different pieces that you tie together. And then the last piece is about future-proofing. So it's not just about repeatability, it's about future-proofing too. So that if I wanna add or subtract from the overall pipeline that I created, I have the ability to do that in a way that's not obviously possible with with hardware, but also very difficult with existing system, uh, current like CI CD systems that aren't made for that purpose. Again, they're made for releasing software to production. They're not made for thinking about how you can holistically build a solution and maintain the life cycle of it over time. Well, and I like the maintaining it of life cycle over time because that would also include security profiles, right? So and so can I build like security profiles or pipelines that would be reused? Like anytime I, I do an update to a service or maybe I'm updating a security policy that can then have its own pipeline. Is that how I'm- And the cool thing is you stack pipelines within pipelines. Security ends up a use case. Right, like oh, my, gotcha. my title includes SOAR because SOAR is a use case that Sophos uses factory to achieve. Like we didn't have a SOAR solution. So we go to market using uh, the factory solution as that part of the use case. And I'll let Mike jump in too because that's exactly what we're working on right now. So you can use pipelines by themselves to just do singular things, right? But you can also include to Callum's point, pipelines and pipelines. And that's where it gets into this whole solution building where I can have various different stages uh, of being able to, uh, you know, maybe create some infrastructure, run an assessment against it, do some remediation, pop that data out into a third party chat op system like Slack or ticketing system. Then I can determine maybe I don't use Slack, maybe I use Teams, maybe I'm not scanning CIS, maybe I need to do NIST 853 or whatever. Like I can start thinking about these different tools that I can package up and then have them available as these low code or no code pipelines, but it gets even cooler than that. You can actually publish these out into what we call solution catalogs. And this is how you share across, and this is really how we kind of diverge from any other automation technologies. We make it super easy to consume the automation that's created by other teams and use it in your own pipelines that you're executing, or you can just use them by themselves. But that gives you a way to essentially, not a huge fan of the word, but to, to democratize the right. <laughs> the the automation building blocks that you're publishing out or you can publish out a full solution and mix and match other pipelines from other solution catalogs so that's where it gets super flexible on how you can share the content you create essentially the pipelines but also how you get different teams to take responsibility and even work with different vendors that are building content to publish out via solution yeah catalogs. I, I was going to ask that i mean i i could see the i could see the case where um, in the medical field, right? I have a HIPAA compliance pipeline. 
right? That's maybe yep. running checks on, on a, a static analysis, maybe during the build static analysis of the application to see um, if they're doing anything with patient record, for example, right? Or I can do it on the, on the back end, making sure that logging's happening, that, um, you know, root passwords aren't set, right? That, you know, I, so that's kind of cool because you can build up a catalog of compliance um, pipelines, right? Uh, they end up not yeah. templates, but actually use cases, right? You know, when you start yeah. to look at some of the way things are shared uh, in, in our area of the world, they're <laughs> templates for a specific, go install this, go do this thing. When you, when you start talking about the solution catalog, and this is where when Mike first showed me this, I got really excited because you can actually solve for an outcome and an entirety of an outcome across the vendor, across multiple vendors, across just a single compliancy like HIPAA, like you mentioned. No. Yeah, and I, compliance happens to be a use case where you, can, you may have specific tools that you're running to perform the assessments and, and reporting that you need to do, but then you may also want to depending on the, where you're at and the various stages that you're creating things, you may want to actually create the infrastructure before you do the assessment. You may have existing infrastructure you want to run this against. You may have no infrastructure at all. You may be doing it for a different type of use case on using the different tools, depending on what you're trying to do. And so you just thinking about that and how you're using that, um, or it could be, you know, it could be infrastructure, but it could be physical infrastructure where I may have configurations that I want to run against it. But then I can look at it and say, can I run that configuration pipeline against a virtual instance to say a firewall versus a physical one? And that configuration pipeline could be run against both. But then I may want to start with a create the virtual firewall instance and then run the configuration so I can create different variations of what I want to do by everything being essentially these building block pipelines. Okay, so here's my configuration management hat on now. You show me all this configurability. What about version controlling my pipelines? I mean, this has got to be this has got to be a sore spot for people, right? Because this is an issue. I want repeatability in these pipelines as much as I possibly can, right? So it's predictable. So how do you manage that? So that the point I brought up earlier about us not requiring get out of the gate, we because we didn't do that, and you can just pop in your content inline if you want to, um, or use Git. We wanted to also make sure that there was version control built in. So actually we have version control built into the pipelines. And then we also have version control built into the solution catalog publishing. So if you're using a solution you know, pipeline from a solution catalog, somebody else published, you can set it at whatever version that you want or pull from latest. That way you're able to get any updates other teams are publishing out from there too, but it's built in to the platform. So you don't have to worry about not having that included with with Git, but when you if you want to use Git with this, you can absolutely add in your Git repo uh, to clone into the pipeline to use any of the content you want from Git versus inline. I I, I like this because uh, we all know about the Solar Winds attack that happened, right? It was an attack on a pipeline that wasn't being controlled appropriately. Let's just put it simple, right? So with this, I mean, I can guarantee that my pipeline hasn't been messed with. Right. Yeah, because you have the version control. There's also RBAC too, so you can set up. So if I only want particular users to have read-only access, but they can execute these. So you may have different types of personas that, that that's applicable to. Maybe it's like a SOC analyst wanting to run some actions for incident response, but I really don't want them touching the pipeline. I just want right, them yeah, running yeah. it. 
And then you have other folks that may need to administrate and be administrators to be able to build everything from scratch, like your DevOps engineers. And so you can configure our back that way. But the other nice thing is to Callum's point about this being like the integration fabric or super interoperable. Um, we have customers that are using factory, Soho's factory as a back end to their own product offering. So the users never even see the product. They just tie right into what they've built in, in Soho's factory. Okay. Interoperability. So you can maintain visibility over what's happened with the pipeline too, by integrating, you know, scanning tools and, and other things. So, you know, I, I'm not saying that it would be impossible for it to happen if it was configured correctly, but you know, being able to scan the pipeline while the pipeline's going to make sure that nothing's changed is also a, a key factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I just did a podcast recently specifically on this. It was uh, on hardened DevSecOps where we've locked down the pipeline and, but we didn't have all the tools we needed. And what you guys can provide is I can describe the tool. I can describe my whole pipeline, soup to mm -hmm. nuts. And I could, I'm, I'm guessing I can check that in, possibly do a checksum on it, and then check it when I start it, right? And make sure nothing's changed in the pipeline. I'm assuming I can do that. Does that sound right to you guys? So you can kind of the inverse, you, you can sort, since it's, a, it's our, the YAML definition, essentially, are oh, oh, if it's a YAML definition, yeah, yeah. then I'm good to go. Yeah, you can store that in Git and push it updates to it through the API and still leverage our version control, but do it the inverse from doing everything from the visual builder. So there are ways to basically get what you're talking about. The other thing to all of this is um, also policy around particular uh, pipelines, you know, the, the steps in the pipeline. So uh, something we just did really cool recently with um, HashiCorp RunTask is you can actually run different pipelines around policy for like IIC security that can trigger in between stages of Terraform from Terraform Cloud. And so if you think about that, it opens up the ability though to support different tools. So we're talking about like Acurix TerraScan, Bridge Cruise Checkoff, I guess Tenable and Paul to Networks now, but um, and, and OPA, Open Policy Agent, and then you can build your own. So if there's some other oh, that's cool. policy that uh, tool that you want to use, you just you know install the tool, uh, set up you know set it up um, the pipeline, and then trigger that off of the uh, outgoing webhook system from HashiCorp Cloud or Terraform Cloud. And that's just one example. But just thinking about like other things that you could do too at later stages there, or with other tools or other systems where you could end up doing like remediation against findings or other things. So it's like just the entry point to what's possible and that's just one use case around iac uh security you know po or policy as code really so i wouldn't even call your guys stuff devops i would call it workflow management that's what it sounds more like to me right because you sit above the typical devops pipeline is that true well so both. yeah yeah both so we can tie into existing devops pipelines and get triggered off of say a GitHub action. We also have a GitHub action. So you could trigger a pipeline. So you could trigger of, directly. Yeah. yeah. Directly. Yeah. We And then we also have a CLI tool. So you can use it with like your Git, GitLab uh, CI. You can use it with others. So the goal is to actually figure out where the handoff is from your existing 
DevOps pipelines that you may already have in place. And then think that's more of the brownfield. And then think about the greenfield that you can build inside of uh, Sophos factory. But you can also bring in your content too. So we have, we have users that will end up saying, you know what, this is way easier to use my existing CI CD. Why don't I bring this over into Sophos factory? But we also want to make sure that there is as little friction as possible so that organizations can continue to use their existing investments and systems they have in place and use this in conjunction with that. And that's where this whole interoperability comes in. And it's not just CI CD. We, we can, we've been oh, you can do it like, with security yeah. workflows too, right? Exactly. I mean, exactly. That's what I was yep. thinking. Security workflows, IT workflows, the combination. So you guys are really a great integration point between the three, the three headed monster called DevSecOps, right? I mean, exactly. I, yeah, it, it, yeah, that's a, that's a very good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, Mike and I uh, have joked back and forth and I haven't figured out a good visual way to render it, but it's like, if you put a plus mark between all of them, you know, or, or an either or between them, you know, it's, it's, it's not DevSecOps, it's Dev plus Sec plus Ops. Yeah, it's not really integrated yet, um, which, which I can see that. Um, very, very fascinating. So how can, how can I leverage what you guys have done to improve my security position? Because there's a bit, you guys know, we talked a little bit about the zero trust architecture, zero trust philosophies. Sounds to me, you guys can help enforce some of that stuff. Have you, have you dealt in this area already? We, we have, so there's various, so interesting enough at Sophos, we have uh, a ZTNA product, but then we're also working with other products like uh, HashiCorp console. But my, my philosophy is you should be able to build things very similarly. Obviously there's gonna be caveats to how each product works, right. but it's to the, um, making it easier for the consumption of those products by wrapping them up into pipelines and making them easy just to drop in to your existing infrastructure. Because at the end of the day, you want to be able to use the ZTNA product to, to uh, connect your different systems together. And so this is kind of a natural uh, evolution of what, like, if I'm building all this, you know, this solution, I need to also add in my, my ZTNA capability so that I have the ability to authenticate between different systems uh, with, a, with a way that before it would be like, I'd have to use you know, uh, um, static credentials for everything. Now I have other ways to be able to really connect everything together and, and know that I am, I am securely communicating between these different systems. So oh, that brings up a good point. So do you guys manage, do you guys handle key management then? Because one of the biggest gaping holes, we all know about it, no one wants to talk about it, it's that build account that's scattered across a whole bunch of build machines, right? That has root access on everything and the deployment accounts and all that stuff. And there's lots of credentials flying around all over the place. Do you guys, do you guys have a, a way of managing that? Or do you say, hey, we're going to use like Vault to do that or someone else to do that? What's so your philosophy around that? So, so our philosophy is we want to make it super easy to get started. So we actually have a credentialing system built in, but we also have support for HashiCorp Vault, and we're looking at other vaulting systems too to be able to utilize uh, uh, vaulting systems in order to tie them into more of a production type of uh, uh, pipeline uh, process. So if we think about that, we want to make it easy to start out with, but once you're ready to go to uh, release things out there that you're going to you know use over and over and over again. 
uh, in your organization, tie that into secret management. And then we obviously can support other secret management through like cloud native templates. And, you know, if you're building, you know, key management services in the cloud or using their from different cloud providers, um, as long as you can create, you can get those uh, credentials from, uh, from those systems through whatever tool that you need to access those, um, we can support that too. And you just package up around a pipeline and then you pull in that tool. And then the last thing I'll say is, it's really cool is we have a credential variable type. So you drop those credentials into the variable and then that becomes reusable in the actual pipeline. Wait, and yeah, also, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, evaluate at runtime. We have a, um, uh, not just a credential variable, but we also have a credential step that you can actually have only evaluated at runtime and only stored in memory while that pipeline is running. No, no, I, I actually like that a lot. Go ahead, Kellen. Yeah, when you think about it, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of developers or, or providers doing things like, you know, adopting Kubernetes and, oh, okay, yeah. I'm safe. I'm in my, I'm in my deployment, right? <laughs> I, I love it. Like, like, wait, wait, I got, I got, a, I got, a, I got to plow on that one just a second. It reminds me of people say, oh yeah, my stuff's secure. It's in the cloud. Yeah. Or, or my stuff's secure. I can just unplug it from the internet. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, but but yeah. then they do that. They call out to somewhere where the data is needed or interoperability between another system. Well, that call out was a moment where I'm, I'm insecure. So, you know, where areas where I see that application of ZTNA or, or credential management or, or things like that, right? You go through, you build out your, your software, it's in this secure environment, whatever it is. And, and then it's applying, you know, the principles of zero trust or network security or, or credential management to the pipeline itself and doing things like only calling out when it's necessary, blocking it when it is, hiding credentials in between runs and things like that. So that way there isn't this kind of open door. It's, 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 it's a necessary evil, right? For, for uh, automation as well as uh, access between systems. Yeah. But we do have to do a better job of enforcing the rule sets. And I, I, I've seen a lot lately of these kind of API specific uh, identity management companies. And I think that's going to be a very key part of zero trust going forward. And it's some of the ones that, it, you know, I've started to evaluate, would that be a good module, right? If we, if we can pull that in as part of it at any time before there's a call, we have this nice little module in here that we know it, it goes, checks, make sure everything's legit and then pulls it down and then stops it for going forward. I was talking to a, a, a CISO the other day, specifically about zero trust. And he goes, hey, what, the key aspects of zero trust are do what we've always been talking about doing for the last two decades and add continuous authentication and authorization and temporal access. Yep. Meaning I only get access for a period of time. And it's not three months. It's like you get it for 30 minutes. That's it, right? Yeah, and um, re just keep refreshing it as you need it, but but it shouldn't be persistent. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the problem. So I, it sounds like you guys can handle that that sort of thing. We can put that directly into the pipeline. Hey, authenticate, authenticate, and make sure that I do have access to what I need need at that time. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was Mike. just gonna say we're just yeah. It, it's about what can be supported 
in, so you made like a comment before on like layering on top. And so I look at any sort of ZTNA or credentialing system that we're, you know, secret management system kind of working combination, but we can layer on top of those tools. So they naturally just become a part of whatever solution that you're building. And I think that's super critical because it's a very difficult to try to tie in an existing uh, uh, ZTNA system, you know, product offering if you don't have some way to operate operationalize the way to use right. it and yeah. trying to start from scratch. And so that's where I look at like the content of building these pipelines around these different products is going to be essential to make it easier for folks to not just use other products like ZTNA or secret management, but also start thinking about how you can use them with other systems too, as you're bringing on other cloud services or other products and systems online. So it's, it's, it's part of the overall DevSecOps narrative, and it has to be an a integral part of what you're creating, essentially. Let's go ahead, Kellen. Because we, we we're in this situation where, for a very long time, you know, the cloud meant running my Windows or my Linux server or, or whatever it was on somebody else's computer. Right. You know, right. It, we're, we're finally getting to the point where it is as code, right? We're, we're, we're seeing even smaller companies, large enterprises and smaller companies, switch to taking advantage of that. ZTNA, secrets management, those are code-based solutions to things that we used to do before. And what we end up seeing a lot is people trying to replicate the good and the bad habits. What's good on a network is not necessarily good in an IT as code world. And so, you know, I think one of the things of tying these two kind of philosophies together and, and to Mike's point of, you know, security or IT in a software development life cycle thinking is the realization that these tools weren't designed to mimic network security or, or your password manager. They were to replace them and operate better with the infrastructure as it's sitting in the future and future-proofing against that. Right, so this requires process change. Correct. In the way that we think about things, which, which leads to, it's, the more I've, I've heard you guys talk about this, it sounds a lot like you did the RPA side of things for sec, dev, and ops. And you're really tying it all together. And I, I know you don't want to hear the RPA rule. Well, it's, I, that, I'm laughing. I, I, I kept I, saying it to them and, and they kept yelling at me. So, cause I'm the, I'm the sales guy, right? Like I'm- yeah, I'm Oh the, yeah, you got it. So, so I yeah. say it and uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm surprised I didn't get them coming through the Zoom at me. So well, I, 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 I'll set it. I, I've heard it all. Um, you know, you brought up like work, workflow management, RPA, um, uh, uh, IP as a sort of integration platform as a service. You know, all these different acronyms that are out there. And then there's this new, there's this new term now, uh, hyper automation, which is supposed to be the next phase. Now, does anybody actually know what it is? Yeah. No, no, it's all made up. There's a there, we, there's a we harder have, definition, but we we, we got to finish where we're at today. Right, we're not even close. Exactly. Uh, but exactly. no, I, I like I like what you guys have done, and I I, I did a podcast uh, a year and a half ago on RPAs. I was shocked at how much money's been dumped into RPAs, oh and and especially I mean it's like three billion dollars into technology that's been around for fifteen years, which used to be testing software for UIs. That's where RPAs came from. Um, and and I hate to glob you guys into that because you guys are more than that, right? You guys have provided a way of 
tying everything together in a nice bow. Um, I like the user interface. I like the collaboration uh, space that you guys have created. I'm, I think I think it's far beyond your typical RPA runners, as as I call them. But uh, yeah, I think I think the other thing with to, to your point, like where RPA came about, was you know trying to automate the UI. You know, essentially human making clicks, right? Yeah, human then, making clicks. Yeah, and then and then but then we think about current state of RPA. It's you know the, the R a robotic. Um, robots or machines right so it's like where how, how is the machine executing this and from where but at the end of the day you still need humans in order to be able to build things that then, then the machine is going to be able to translate and execute and, and and you know make happen so we have to think about that as like the element here of all right we still need the humans involved in making things but can we leverage the machines to do you know the the, the process automation that we're looking at and if we're doing that, then yes, it's technically RPA, but- Yeah, uh, I, I never liked the word RPA sense, yeah. <laughs> because the no. first time I heard it, I said, oh, is this like in the manufacturing space? Is it, yeah. I'm automating robots? No, I, no, because everything's a robot now, right? Um, so no, I, I, I hear you completely, Mike, and, and I agree with you. Uh, Callan, last word, we got to tie up. We could talk all day, I think the three of us, so. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I think what it is, is on the RPA side or, or any of it is we're all looking for ways to scale, right? And, and make it so that we're getting value out of the IT we buy in a secure way. And, and because that's usually what ends up happening. We, we make these investments in automation. We make these investments in easier to use things. You know, you, you buy the, the, the next greatest thing and then it sits there on a shelf or you use it for less than 10% of its in, in intended effect. I mean, you can have someone from an RPA standpoint, take what's in Excel, automate it going into an access database, do those couple of things. And it's the same as applying a full RPA system. It's the, the same as that. When I, when I look at our software though, it, I think of it. And when I look at where DevSecOps needs to go and security and the influx of identity is identity could bring all of this automation crashing down. Oh yeah. And so, it, so instead of getting 10% of the software we're paying for, we're getting 2%, you know, because we're getting some gains, but where, where I see we need to embrace is helping this technical talent level up. Like, like Mike's talked about, it's giving them the, the access to the tool sets and then getting more out of it, build that content and set it off to go and make sure that you're thinking about security the whole way. So, you know, it's, that's, that's kind of, you know, when I think RPA, when I think identity, when I think pulling it together where it needs to go, that's that's what I see. And that's what excites me about doing this, you know, figuring out the use cases and going. So, All right, Mike, you're the VP, so we have to bow to you. Any last words? I just, uh, my one of my favorite uh, lines from the Mandalorian, but I'll put a, a twist with DevSecOps. DevSecOps, this is the way. So that's, that's oh, my final got it. Wait, <laughs> the Mandalorian didn't even speak in the first um, season. So... That was that was a hard quote. That was a hard quote yeah. to find, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, great. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. This has been fun. Thanks for having us, Aaron. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.